Welcome to Vino Week, episode 71. Welcome to Vino 101. I'm Bill. Hello, everyone. It's Al. Happy to be back for another podcast with Vino 101. Yeah. How are you feeling, Bill? I'm feeling good. How about you? I'm feeling pretty good, man. I'm getting rest. I'm resting up. Um, I'm I'm waking up the, the past couple days without an alarm. What's wrong with that? Not a thing. <laughs> Not a thing. Are you alarm guy, Bill? No, I okay. never. I've always been that person that like, hey, I got to get up at this time, and I managed to wake up. God, that's great. I I can't I can't do it because I'm uh, because of my um, well, I think I told you this. I have to do that exercise thing first in the morning, and yeah. I do it in an ungodly hour. So uh, an alarm is required. That's funny. The um, if I have to get up like at five thirty, yes, but I'm, you know, I'm usually up, you know, sometime between quarter to quarter to sometime between six and seven ish. Yeah. No, you don't have much of a choice, right? No, no. <laughs> you I, got other people. Not right now. I mean, my youngest son is a real. Um, He's an early riser, and so is my wife. I think they're both farmers, or they have paper routes. Yeah, yeah. You know, running joke there. Um, but yeah, it's um, you know, I've always been fortunate that I've been able to juggle my schedule and work, and like get my workout in and do all that good stuff. So I'm a pretty fortunate person. Excellent, excellent. Um. Just diving into some local stuff, uh, you do know that the, the Harvest Fair, the Sonoma County Harvest Fair event was yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. Did you guys go? or No, I didn't go. And I had a half a mind. Uh, I, I, you know, I heard it like a week out. And I'm like, hey, you know, one of, these, one of these times we should get, I'm sure we could get press passes to go check Absolutely. it out. Absolutely. Sure. Um, and go to the grand tasting. We should do that. I was thinking about that. I heard that. I heard a commercial for it like a week out, like last week. Um, and that also triggered like, hey, the Sonoma wine auction. We said we should go to that too. Yeah. Um, that'd be a good thing. But it sounds like you got to a tasting. Yeah, I went to the Wine and Spirits uh, Top 100. <laughs> was that at Moscone? Uh, no, it was at, uh, at the Metreon. Okay. And um, it's always been there. I haven't gone the past couple of years because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but I think they had, I believe they had an event yesterday, uh, last year. I don't, I'm not positive. Um, it was, uh, you know, hands down, that has been probably one of the best um, tastings to go to. Right. Um, Various reasons. Um, the setting is just spectacular. It's on the fourth floor. Yeah. They've got this uh, huge open air um, patio that looks out. Um, well, it looks towards the waterfront, but you can't see the waterfront because of all the tall buildings. It's like, don't you see the Salesforce Tower now? <laughs> but uh, just a beautiful setting. So when you walk in, and they've always set it up this year when you first walk in you know the first place people go to is they head to the they head to the left and they go out on the because everyone wants to be outside if you can be right sure and it, it was a it was a very nice day so they have um 
they have all of the, the top champagne producers. And just to give everyone a little background, the top 100, um, it's a magazine, it's their top 100 uh, winery picks uh, for the year. So uh, um, you get out there, they've got the guys shucking the oysters from Hog Island, uh, which is, <laughs> I can't get away from that table for some reason. Uh, but they had uh, Sham, um, they had uh, Champagne Bollinger was there, uh, Rotor was there, um, Iron Horse. I was like, I saw the Iron Horse um, posts on Instagram. Okay, yeah, yeah, it was uh, just a great, uh, a great setting. And then they also had the Rieslings out there. They had a producer with some ceviche. So they had not only did they have the the, the great wines, but they had you know, some really good things to pair with the wine. A couple things I'll say about um, the the tasting was you can definitely see how um, the economy has has changed things. For one thing, there were a lot less people there, which I really liked. <laughs> that was nice. Yeah. Um, the pandemic has changed the way that they pour wines at tastings now. So the wines are they're poured the same, but there's no spit buckets at tables. Which I always hated forever, and I think I've mentioned that before anyway. Um, so the tables, the spit buckets are set in tables aside, and they give everyone a cup. So you don't actually have to explorate into a bucket. You just you can just you can spit your wine into the cup that you hold. Yeah. Of course, that brings on other challenges because you've got a wine glass, you've got a cup, you've got the book that you're taking your notes in. So you know certain amount of ambidextriousness is required. But uh, we handled that. Um, they had, um, the one thing that's striking to me is, um, I went to this table and the guy was opening up. Um, well, I, I did the, you know, what I do when I go to a tasting of, of this type is, I try to try wines that I normally wouldn't get an opportunity to try. So that kind of leaves, Sonoma County Pinot Noir and California Pinot Noir out of the mix because I mean it's everywhere. I live in the area, right? That's right. So uh, I tried the champagnes. I tried some of the higher end Rieslings, um, and then I headed straight to the Burgundy, the French Burgundy tables. And I'm telling you, those 2019 Burgundies. Oh my gosh! They're awesome. They are fantastic. That's good to know. I mean, if you if you're a Burgundy fan and if you can afford to buy those things, man, they're they're just they're, they're incredible. <laughs> if you can afford to buy them, <laughs> the Jadot, um, the um, Frederick Magnin, um, all of them. They're just I mean the and what was amazing to me was the consistency across the brand because most of them were were pouring um, 2019s. Right. So uh, yeah, those are those are fantastic wines. They had a, so I, I went up to a table and I was trying one of the burgundies and the guy had, he was opening it up and the knife on his wine opener fell off and they provide these openers for the producers and the people they're going to pour because obviously people are flying in, they can't carry a corkscrew on the plane, blah, blah, blah. So it falls off and he goes, he just goes, man, <laughs> it's like, what is this? Yeah. So they were like, they gave them like disposable corkscrews. Oh yeah, yeah. Welcome to America. 
these things were terrible. So he reaches over a, to the guy that's standing next to me, and the guy goes, man, he goes, these are terrible. And then the guy says, do you want this? And I was like, I said to him, I said, whatever they paid for those, they paid too much. That's right. That's for, for damn sure. So that was, uh, so, but that was a little bit of an example of what was going on. Everything was pared down. There was less food. Um, uh, uh, they didn't have a band. They just had a guy spinning disc. Everything was kind of uh, just, uh, uh, but the wines were fantastic. I'll say that. So, but you could, you could definitely tell that um, the pandemic and the economy had um, had a bit to do with it. And since I go to these events, you know, with um, at least up until um, a few years with a, a good amount of frequency, I noticed that the room was essentially full of, I mean, it was essentially full of salespeople. Really? Yeah. There was, um, there was um, fewer writers and um, fewer, um, definitely fewer just uh, common people. Because it's an expensive tasting, man. It's like a, it's 150 bucks a head. Yeah, but that that's not... I mean, if you're a wine person, a wine fan, an oniophile, I mean, honestly, the top 100... That's a deal. I think it, it's... For a, me, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking that's a deal. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I'm... It's I'm pricey. Just, you can just sure. go to one table and it's a deal. Yeah, I'm sure it's pricey, but I mean, what's a bottle of one of those... What's the bottle of Burgundy that you were talking about cost? Oh, yeah, those bottles are they're $200 a bottle. Yeah, and so, you know, to have the top... To get to experience the those those producers, I don't know if it's if it's a thing you're you know. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I mean, the amount of people that appreciate. <clears throat> I had dinner at a friend's house on Monday, and we were talking about this, and I'm like, most people don't. They just want something that tastes good and doesn't cost a lot of money. Most people, yeah. and the people that you know, search for premium wine or super premium wines are people that are, you know, that have expanded their palate. They're definitely, I mean, you've got to make an investment to go find, you know, first to understand what's in the bottle and then, you know, have to educate yourself a little bit and then you have to understand what the pricing is. And, you know, I mean, there's some investment in time and effort there. And if you're, if you're doing that kind of thing, that's, you know, you're interested in it, 150 bucks to taste the top 100 wines plus get some plus a lovely day out not that bad you'll definitely go drop that for a meal at a really nice restaurant sure and you're what? not gonna you're not gonna find you know a lucien moin 2019 bone romane at you know at the at the no. you know bev bev mo no you know? <laughs> no i'm gonna no, you have to, you know, no, you're going to have to like run that down. Um, yeah. Plus, I also think the, the valuable, you know, if you want a, an education on wine, it's not a bad place to go get it. Granted, it's 150 bucks, but like if you have a little bit of knowledge and you know how to taste wine, which means you're not drinking every single sip <clears> you take, um, comparing the top champagnes and the top burgundies and Rieslings, like that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and the, and the people that are there, for the most part, um, oh, one thing, another thing that I noticed was um, most of the people that were pouring um, for um, the, imp, the foreign um, companies, 
from from Europe. Those producers, it was all it was all the people that were here on land, the importers. So a lot of winemakers. I mean, very few made it over. Yeah, I don't. I'm trying to remember. I don't know why that. That's usually not the case. Traveling is a nightmare. You go there and you see the main principles that yeah. are you know involved with the winery. Right. You see them there. Right. Traveling's a nightmare, though. Yes. Yeah. Is that a touring show? No, it's not. It, okay. It's a one-off. So they don't do it like in New York or Miami or nope. L.A. or one of those. Not that I'm aware of. I believe it's just a one-off. Huh. Yeah, you would I think they'd do something like that in New York. Maybe you know. I don't. I don't believe so, though. Right. Because I saw the post from Iron Horse, and I, I, I recognized the. I, 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 they took a picture of like in the entryway or something, and I'm mm-hmm. like, that looks like down by Moscone. I'm like, I wonder if it was at Moscone. And I'm like, oh, when you said the Metreon, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but how many? How was it busy? I don't. No, it wasn't busy, not in contrast to years gone by before the pandemic. I mean, that place, well, you know, the press gets in a little bit earlier. Right. So we get in uh, uh, hour, an hour before. Uh, actually, I think two hours before, as I recall, it wow. maybe two hours before the general public gets in. So yeah. it gives you a chance to run around. I mean, and just really, I mean, you could it, you could just set a good pace. I did. And I was able to taste everything that I really wanted to taste. Um, before the general public came in. Um, but it was, I would say, probably half of the number of people that it's been in the, in the past. And I will, um, I will say that they were actually uh, peddling tickets for this affair up until the day before, the night before. And I think if you wanted to, you could have bought tickets at the last minute. And got in. It did not sell out. I'll say that. Wow. Yeah, people are, and you know, the other thing, the other thing that's putting an ice on a lot of this stuff is just the, the, the economy. Yeah. You know, the insert uncertainty, um, and prices are like, you know, prices are expensive. Like, you know, it went up. You know, the seven dollar sandwich is now twelve dollars. Yeah, I've I've said this before, and I mean it's been echoed by by so many people. I mean that when I go to, um, I mean I I can only I have a myopic viewpoint, you know, given that I when I go to San Francisco, my mouth is just a gate. It's like I, where are the people? <laughs> where I mean it's it's Thursday. It was there's no people there. Yeah, it's like it's not like it's. It's it's a ghost town. Yeah, it literally is a ghost town. And um, I spoke with the I was I was, um, I was up at the lab. You'd appreciate this. As a, I was up in the hills uh, at Berkeley Lab uh, the other day, and I was talking to a guy that's lived in the area for 25 years. He grew up in San Leandro. Um, well, in his uh, late years, he was in San Leandro, but he was actually born in San Francisco. Went to Galileo. Um, really in San Francisco well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is a little bit off topic, but he said, you know, there comes a point in everyone's, you know, being where they just, the quality of life becomes so much more important than other things. And he said, there's no way that I would move or live in San Francisco. I mean, he lives over in the East Bay now, and he's looking to move to some other place. And this is another topic that's come up recently over the past few months about how people are leaving California. 
but his his point was that it's become almost too liberal that and and he's you know it was he didn't want to really make it political but he said you know laws have to be enforced <laughs> <laughs> and they're not being enforced yeah and that makes it difficult for citizens and you know and that's not fair and that's not right and that was his thing and i like I don't want to get on a, a, a post here and, and, and start talking politics, but the point is, is that the city has become, to a certain degree, inhospitable because of the economy. Um, you know, all of the restaurants are closed down. Where, where do you work? The expense of living there. There are just a host of factors that make it a less pleasant place to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that it definitely. Um... So I was probably in San Francisco two weeks ago, three weeks ago, on a Thursday, um, worked all day, and then, you know, I met I met some folks for a libation after work, and it was the first time for a long time that the city felt like it had some vibrancy. I met, mm-hmm. we, we went to North Beach um, to have a, you know, to have some appetizers and a and a cocktail before we, you know, libation before we went home. And there were like, you know, there were, tur- there were, there were people out. And that was the first time that I'd seen that for, I don't know, since the pandemic happened. Sure. But, you know, the financial district at, at, you know, once, once it's past five o'clock, it was always sort of a ghost town. Mm-hmm. But it, when you go there during the day now, it feels like it used to feel after work. Yes. You know, where it was kind of a ghost town. Now it's just creepy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's odd to be down there during the, cause I got there at, uh, I got there a little early. I say I got there a little bit after three and that's usually when people are, you know, kind of trying to hightail it out of there. And, uh, yeah, there was, it was, uh, there wasn't a whole bunch of activity. Yeah, well, you know, anytime that you can start to find parking, (laughs) that's weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But all in all, I would, like you said before, I would encourage anyone, if you had the opportunity to go to that Wine and Spirits Top 100. I mean, it's it's in the fall every year. Um, I would imagine that it'll be probably a little bit, uh, you know, if things go our way as far as humans, it'll probably be... um, a little bit more open and a little bit better even next year so but the the people that put it on do a pretty nice job the sponsor for it is the san francisco bay keepers and they pollute they police um people that are using the bay to make you know to keep them on yeah and keep 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 the keep the water and the environment clean so um it's a it's a good event yeah i would say the same thing about the sonoma county harvest fair for that matter if you're a, a pinot or shard fan there's uh, and many others, you know, you can get a good you can get a good experience here with both food and wine. I would agree with that. I always remember the Harvest Fair. Um, always liking it back to when I first moved out here, and I, I worked at a few wineries uh, when I first moved out here on the production side, and we could never go to the Harvest Fair because it was right during the middle of Crush, and that just shows you how much stuff has changed. Yeah, because now you can go to the Harvest Fair. I mean, the place where I work this year, everything's in peril. Yeah, it's <laughs> done. Yeah, it's done. So everything has been moved forward. It seems by like, like three to five weeks. You know, so 
that's kind of nice, I guess, for uh, defenders. They can all get out. It's true. They can get out and get to do their thing. Um, and see hey, all the gold medal winners. I remember, the, I remember the Harvest Festival. I went there right after I moved to California mm-hmm. um, because of the grape crushing contest. Oh, yeah, the stomping. Yeah, that's fun. Have you um, ever done that? Yeah, I did it when I was I was pretty young. Like, I just moved to California. But, yeah, we, we did it. I was with a couple <laughs> friends, yeah. I'm like, this this is fun. This has got to be a good place to live. <laughs> and it was. No, there's some places where they still do that. As a matter of fact, actually, we uh, this year at the winery where I worked, um, we probably did eight bins worth of wine of uh, grapes where uh, we had people hopping in there and uh, putting their feet on them. Yeah, right on. People don't want to hear that, though. Oh, my God, feet. It's got to get that natural yeast in there. <laughs> hey, the feet are sanitized before we go in there. Yeah, okay? yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> hey, did you see, um, just getting on to a quick story here, I really enjoyed reading um, the story about uh, Italian wine growers by uh, Peg Melnick with the Press Democrat. Yeah. You see that picture of Lee Martinelli as he's like uh, looking down the hill there in Forestville? Yeah. That Jackass Hill vineyard? Yeah. Yeah. And I love the, I love why it's called Jackass Hill. (laughs) That's so good. Share with our uh, listeners why it's called Jackass. I, well, I, I want to, uh, um, I want to make sure who it was that said it um but it said it about the hill hell helen's father when helen his father's late second wife once crossed only a jackass would farm that hill (laughs) it's it's pretty amazing dates back to the 70s yeah um and you know if you look at that picture you can probably find that place but it's a 60 degree slope hill Started, yeah, you can't. Uh, I don't even think you're. You're not allowed to even plan at that. You can't plan on a gradient like that legally. The the article said thirty percent now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. But um, what did that that started in what? They started farming that thing in eighteen eighty nine. Yeah. I mean, one of the you you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about about <clears throat> some of the wineries around here they've been around for. A long time, you know, over a hundred years, um, or at least some of the land has. I mean, I don't. How long is the Petri? How long have the Petricellis been? Oh, they're a hundred years in. Easy. Weren't they yeah. one of? They're they're on the list of one of the original wineries in California. I remember seeing a plaque on their winery when I was. I there. think they're in the top. They're in the top ten or something. Yeah, some crazy thing like that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Rocchioli, um, they're like fourth generation. Yeah, um, the, the thing that I found uh, endearing and interesting about the article was not so much about the Italian, Italian heritage, but it was about the fact that these are places that are managing to pass on their uh, family farms farming operations to the next generation successfully, which is no small task. <laughs> well, if you, the other article that you sent about Napa Valley and all of the, uh, well, I'll just say the, the wineries that are struggling there, you know, led by the, you know, 
the Nat Falcon Crest Winery, Spring Mountain Vineyard, you know, $192 million in debt. Yikes. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, to be to be fair, I think part of that was, I mean, that operation was probably having some problems um, before. Uh, but, I mean, it didn't help that they had the big fire that came through. No. You know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't helpful. Well, another thing but, that's, go ahead. Sorry. Well, be, be, before I, uh, I guess, I guess we could move into that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I was just looking at the, um, one thing that's interesting to note, I think, is all of these places, when you look at these, referring back to the uh, Italian immigrants that came over and, and planted um, and started doing business here, these are all Sonoma County um, operations. And for the most part, they all produce really small amounts, considering, in contrast to some of these other operations, small amounts of wine. I mean, Raffinelli, 7,000 cases. Martinelli's, 13,000 cases. Rocchioli, 12,000 cases. Um, I mean, Pedrocelli, even by today's standards, is a pretty small winery at 50,000 cases. That's that's noteworthy because I think that jump from say fifty thousand up to like okay I want to be a big boy and go into the two hundred thousand uh, dollar or two hundred thousand case area, you know, getting selling that product and having to have because um, I think uh, with the I'll just use the Rocchiolis as a case, I think they they sell all of their wine direct to consumer. Yeah, I think I that, yeah. Yeah, that they don't, I don't believe they have, I don't think they even have a distributor. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, I, I don't you know, know, but. <clears throat> so literally they've cut out the middleman and they're making money, right? Yeah. The other thing that struck me about, so the other article that we're referring to is in, uh, is in the San Francisco Chronicle about, you know, the, the Falcon Crest Winery, which was a TV show back in the day. Um, which is spring, you know, spring mountain, um, that, that winery was owned by, by somebody who wasn't necessarily a family wine business person. They jumped into the wine business. Whereas the press demo, uh, press Democrat article is referencing, you know, families that are multi-generational. They, they work the land and they work the vineyard. They're in the business. Um, and they've grown up in the business. And I think that that's a big difference. You know, people that buy, buy into the wine business and are absentee at it, you know, you're relying on a bunch of people to run the business and, and, you know, it is a very capital and, you know, you gotta be on your operational game to succeed. Um, and that's, you know, plus, you know, you gotta deal with the weather. Um, so you know, I think that that's a, you know, at what scale can you, can you really scale out the wine business? Um, and I think the direct to consumer, last thing I'll say is the direct to consumer thing. It was kind of a lifesaver for a lot of these places being able to, you know, sell direct to consumer, not have to go ship direct to consumer, not have to go through a distributor. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lot of it is related to volumes too. It's hard to be direct to consumer if you have 
you know, 90,000 cases. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, got you could have only 9,000 customers. In your tasting room. Yeah. You could have 90,000 customers. <laughs> it's going to be hard to do. The one thing I found uh, interesting also was uh, the owner of um, this company. Um, he's the chairman of Encyclopedia Britannica. Safra. I know yeah. Spring Mountain Vineyards. And that's, I'm, I'm what? Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, great. You know, I mean, what do you, you know, contrast that with, you know, one of the Italian families that are referenced in that in the press Democrat article. I mean, is that, is that person who, um, you know, the encyclopedia Britannica person, do they have any knowledge about running a winery? I mean, running a business, sure. But I would argue that, you know, being in a business where you rely on growing something and have to manufacture it, that's way different than assembling knowledge in a, I don't know. I think there's a lot of knowledge that you have to gain through experience they just can't buy into. You can buy people to do that for you, but you gotta pay them, and then you you're gonna have to scale to make any kind of money. And you know we're back to that, you know, direct to consumer list of ninety thousand. Well, I think I think really what got at these, what got this this company Spring Mountain Vineyard, what really got them was they were limping along. They were doing okay. I mean, I don't, I don't really see their wines that much. I know they've made some, um, some changes recently. It's a beautiful property, by the way. Yeah, it's but, stunning. Yeah. But um, it's huge. They were making a, a, a substantial claim for uh, damages from the fire. Ten million. With their insurance company, yeah. and the insurance company is, you know, they're in litigation over this. Yeah. No dice. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. You know, that's just, it's the same old saw. We paid our premiums, but, you know. <laughs> and then they have a loan. They have some kind of loan. We're not sure claim. Yeah. And then they have a loan. They have a, what, $192 million loan or something? Yeah. Yeah. Something well, the guy's a, he's successful. He's a, on a board of a, a really high-end bank in Europe somewhere, I believe. I mean, I was, I was, I was a little tongue-in-cheek with the. Encyclopedia Britannica because I didn't understand why they would even put that in there because is that even a viable company? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, when I think of Encyclopedia, I just think of like a book. You know, when I was a kid, was, yeah, we had an encyclopedia. But I mean, why wouldn't you just if you need to know something, you could just go on the internet, right? I mean, I guess they could sell. Maybe it's you know, it's an e-business, I suppose. But I, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I believe there aren't they like billionaires. What what's that again? Aren't they billionaires? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, you yeah. know, they just jeez, come on down. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen an encyclopedia in a long time of yeah. a physical one you pick up. Well, you know, they might have just made the money on that and yeah. exited that business, and now they're just managing their money. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, I would say that that's, uh, you know, because everyone had an encyclopedia, right? Pretty much. And, you know, the gold standard was the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's kind of crazy. Um, but there, you know, there might be some people that are listening to our podcast that don't know what an encyclopedia is, so we should move on. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> what is an encyclopedia? That is probably true. That is probably true. Um, 
the other article I liked was about the the LA Times article. Um, Coleman Andrews wrote this about the. Um, they're saying about the flame out of you know Napa Valley, um, and I there's a there's a line in here about the Hamptonization of Napa. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, it's kind of halfway through. People talk about the Hamptonization of Napa, um, and double negative. That's not inaccurate. I would say that's pretty accurate. That it's become very much a. I don't know, a thing that has a lot of flash, and I'm not sure how much substance it has. Now, granted, they're still commanding tons of money for their wine, um, but it, you know, it's it's often been, Napa Valley's often been referred to recently by, by people that I'm around as the Disneyland of, of wine. Um, but you look at all the, you know, the luxury brands are buying in, there are you know, celebrities that are buying in and it's, um, you know, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's changed quite a bit from back in the day when Robert Mondavi and the Callos were running around. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, the article featured a lot about Robert Sinsky. I think I'm saying his name right. Um, you are. He makes know. great wine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the article is jumping around a little bit about that because he was talking about how he's changing the, like he ripped all his Pinot grapes out and he's, and some other, other vines uh, and replacing them with warmer climate vines um, or warmer climate grapes, I should say. Um, But it's really this article about how, you know, the corporatization the celebrity factor has really changed the dynamic of, of Napa Valley. Like, I don't, you know, wait, I, I remember my parents coming through Napa Valley back in probably the seventies sometime. And I remember that because they got the salt and pepper shakers that were like in little wine bottles that had wicker, like little wicker things on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember them, you know, my dad's like, good wine comes from this place. It was probably a gala place they went to. It was still kind of, a, you know, it was still kind of a little rural place, not really that famous. I'm not sure if my parents had been there after the, you know, the, 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 uh, the tasting in France where, you know, Napa Valley gained some notoriety, but, um, it's way different now. There wasn't a Four Seasons hotel at what nine hundred and sixty dollars a night when my parents came through. Yeah, well, there it was is now. Hard to find a, it was hard to find a place to stay. Yeah, I mean Napa proper. I mean, especially if you were up, if you went, say, if you were in Calistoga, uh, Saint Helena, um, you were uh, Rutherford, Yonville. There weren't any, there were no places to stay. There were very few places to stay. They had hotels. You know, but just very few, and certainly not, like you said, a, not a night, you know, a thousand dollar night um, yeah. type state places. I think um, there's a, I'm, I'm going through the article right now and I'm looking, and there's a picture of um, Falcon Crest. <laughs> they have yeah. a picture of Lance, and yeah, and I guess his, uh, uh, that's his mom or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's talk about retro, but there's one, uh, one thing pretty much. Uh, sums up the whole article. It says, uh, often, um, there's, there's many of these wineries are often founded by small scale family operations 
they're being taken over by conglomerates or super rich carpet baggers from other fields of endeavor, which some locals feel is robbing the valley of its personality. Uh, I would say that that ship has sailed. Yeah, that ship sailed a decade ago. A long time ago. ago. Yeah, a decade <laughs> ago. And the most interesting thing for me in this article was what uh, Sinsky said right at the beginning, where, and I mentioned this already, he ripped out the Pinot and Carneros and replanted with Zinfandel and Primitivo. And then mm-hmm. Matheson's experimenting with uh, Sagartino and Alleganico. Um, and, you know, they're saying, you know, the article says there are people in the valley that are, you know, questioning whether Cabernet will even be viable in the coming decade. Um, you know, we've talked before on the podcast about the migration of various types of fruits and vegetables in California. Sonoma County used to be known as a big hop production that kind of moved up into Oregon and Washington and then offshore. Granted, it's still, you know, still viable. Um, apples were huge in Sonoma County, especially where we, where I live now in Sebastopol. Um, that's all gone, although there's a little bit of resurgence. And I wonder, you know, is this just a natural progression where, you know, I, you know, Cabernet worked really well and, and, you know, the, you know, the, the climate change. So now we're going to just change. And, and if Cabernet, an interesting question is if Cabernet is not viable in Napa Valley, what happens to Napa Valley? Does it, you know, does it, does it go back to not being as popular? I don't know. Um, you certainly, I don't know, Al, I, since I've lived in Sonoma County, I've certainly seen a change in the, in the, in the wine industry here just as a consumer, you know, wasn't too long ago, it wasn't too long before the pandemic uh, where you didn't have to make an appointment at most wineries. There were, you know, tasting fees were, you know, sometimes to, you know, especially if you went to a smaller winery, you may or may not have a tasting fee. I've certainly seen a change there. And then if you look at Healdsburg, Healdsburg is, Healdsburg to me feels very, uh, very much like being Hamptonized. Um, you know, there's a bunch of high end, high end, you know, restaurants there. There's hotels going in there that are higher end. There's developments happening that are higher end. Um, so I wonder if that's just a natural progression. Um, and people, you know, People used to come to Napa Valley wouldn't necessarily come to Sonoma County. Now, I think, you know, if there's so many choices for somebody to come to Northern California that, you know, it's just normal expansion. There's more wine consumers. I don't know. Um, But I certainly, you know, I can certainly see a change in Sonoma County's, you know, uh, wine operations since I've lived here. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to attribute that 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 vast difference. I mean, we'll just let's just pick up say tasting. You know, up until maybe I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, in Sonoma County, you could just go and you know, you it was relatively easy to go to places and taste for I mean uh a uh, really minimum price. Yeah, if there was, if there was a fee. Yeah, and and I mean, if you go back twenty years, there were no fees. You oh no, there were around no and taste. 
Yeah, and and it was pretty likely you were going to encounter somebody that was material to the wine, the winery. Yes, like yes. the winemaker, the owner, the owner's wife, their kids. You know, it was. I don't you know. still kind of get you still kind of get that in Sonoma County. Sometimes it really I mean, you, you still you still get that just because of the economics of it. I, I, I mean, it's, it's harder to find people, so I think you yeah. still you well, still that's get true. that. Right, right now, that's probably true. Now, I haven't been to Mendo Mendocino County for a while to do wine tasting. I have a vivid memory. My first, like first time in Mendocino County around Boonville and Philo, I don't even, you know, so first we went to Rotorer and that was, there was like nobody there. It was like a personal, you know, tasting, you know, people waiting on hand and foot, beautiful facility. Um, and I, th- I think we probably paid for a tasting, but it was nominal and I ended up buying stuff. So it didn't matter. Um, and then went down the, you know, got back on 128 saw a winery pulled off and like somebody came out of a house and they had like a shed and the, you know, the wine was awesome and you know, there was no tasting fee. And I wonder how, we, how much that's changed. Um, I don't know. Well, so, they have a, uh, I mean, I, it's interesting you bring, bring that up because uh, I don't know if you and some of your friends or maybe I, I can't do it cause I'm already, I have some, going on that day but they have uh, the taste of mendocinos coming up yeah that's right for fifth that's right and at it's gonna be at uh barbara yeah it used to be in san francisco and we've been there freeway no no it's not san francisco it's in mendocino well that's the first time right yeah yeah usually they have it down in san francisco yeah and this is another indication of what's going on you know, San Francisco used to be, that's where you wanted to, you know, that's where you wanted to be. But I don't, I just don't think the draw is there. And it's probably was too expensive to, you know, for them to do it again. So they're, they're having it up in, in their area and they're doing it. It's kind of centered around a festival and a whole bunch of stuff, but um, always a good event. Um, yeah. I've gone to that event a number of times in San Francisco. And, uh, Barra is uh, owned by a, the Barras have been farmers up there for a long time for um, multi generations, and uh, they just bought that that event center. Um, it's been it's changed hands a number of times, um, but um, they've had it for quite some time now, and all of their stuff is organic. They're um, they're organic farmers, so oh, interesting. But uh, that should be a that that would be a, a good way to learn about the wines of Mendocino, and uh, if you're in this area, I mean, Mend- I mean, literally, it's from where we live here in Santa Rosa. It's less than an hour to get there. It's a straight shot. But going back to uh, is that in is that in Hopland? Uh, I don't know um, the Barra. Uh, event center that I know of because there is an event center in Hopland I don't know if they have it there or not but the bar of winery itself that I know of is in Ukiah yeah. but I think it may it's, be in Hopland I don't know I haven't looked into it no I just looked it up it's north of Hopland north of Ukiah just okay yeah it's, it's on the right hand side of the freeway in Ukiah then yeah it's the address is Redwood Valley it's Barra B-A-R-A yeah yeah yep yeah 
So getting back to the tasting thing, I don't know. I was I was having this conversation with somebody else. I mean, because you can spend, you can go to Napa, and uh, you can go tasting in, in um, Napa Valley, and you could, I mean, you could easily just going into just a regular place, you could easily spend fifty, sixty dollars just to taste the wines. Oh yeah, per person. I mean, that's that's like a that's like a, it's. I don't. It would be hard to spend less. I think. Yeah, I. Um, I mean, if you're gonna the, go, my, to, like, if we do three wineries, four wineries in a day, I think four is quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't what know that, that. What's that gonna cost you, in Napa? A couple yeah. hundred bucks. And it, would, it would be costly here, but my my point is this: is uh, when I was talking, I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, sure, it costs. You know, it used to be able to taste for free. You know, here in Sonoma, and now you know you got to probably spend like twenty five dollars. You know, when you go into a tasting room for each person. But hey, man, you know, I don't know. Forty years ago, you could, you know, the average. What was the average price for a car? You know, back in sure. let's say in, in the early seventies, the average price for a car was like maybe four thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Well, what's the average price for a car now? <laughs> It's like freaking $35,000. So it's all relative, man. Everything goes up. That's it's just we've, we've had a huge spike in the prices because of the pandemic over the past three years. It's just it's it's ballooned. And uh, that's that's the big and I don't see them. I don't see the prices going down and I don't see the way that people do business changing either, because if you can get people to come into your winery, and pay $50, $60 to taste your wines, buy three or four wines, and leave. If I owned a winery, I would do that all day versus having to sell a pallet to a distributor at a discounted price, hope and pray that they take care of my wine and don't ruin it, transporting it to all their various warehouses where they go, and then giving them 35 percent of what I would make if I just sold it to somebody who was walking in the door. I would do as much of that selling directly to a customer as I possibly could. A hundred percent. And that's, that's what people, that's what they're doing. And as long as people are willing, it's always, it's with anything. It's, you know, how much is that worth as well? It's what somebody's worth. It's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Yes. <laughs> so that's called the market with the market will bear. Yeah. So as long as people can do that, the get is how long will people do this? Because people are getting out more and more. And I'm going to tell you, I don't remember the last time I went tasting in Napa Valley. And I'm, I'm a wine dude. Yeah. You know, when's the last time you went tasting in Napa Valley? To be sure, that's a hit piece. The flame out in Napa Valley? Yeah. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... It's a hit piece. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I wonder about that part of it, you know, who wrote it and why they wrote it. Because... You know, those things are true. You know, they've had fires. It's expensive to taste there. It's expensive to stay there. The traffic sucks. All of those things are true. Um, but I think people that are seasoned travelers, they already knew that before they went. And they wanted to come and enjoy the experience anyway. Yeah, I, uh, I went to um, lunch over there recently for a corp, for a business thing. Um, and it was, you know, it was very, it was very good. 
and it was lovely to be out in the, uh, you know, in the vineyard right off of one, um, 121. Is that mm-hmm. the right road? Okay. Um, and, but it just felt very contrived. You know, it felt to me. A little cookie cutter? Yeah, a little cookie cutter. Like, you know, this is your, like, you know, lunch in the vineyard. You know, if you... If you scripted it, it was like what you would expect. Um, and I and I wasn't expecting anything. It was an awesome experience. If um, and, and I think that speaks more to my living in this region and having access to all this than anything else. Um, but I did hear people at the table who had a, a little bit younger than me who had had experiences and like one of the married Napa Valley um, and it was very, um, I don't, I don't want to say it wasn't, and again, this probably is me, the authenticity it, it wasn't necessarily there. Um, you know, it was very much, um, like going into a, um, you know, like into a, a, like a chain, like you wouldn't a chain restaurant. I'm not trying to compare it in any way, shape, or form to that experience, but just the sort of formulaic um, nature of it, I guess. Well, look, Bill, I don't think you're going to have, you're not going to ever have that, that authentic pure experience that some people and, and you and I may be looking for. It's going to be lost through the translation because, I mean, as, yeah. as you all well know, these companies that own these wine, I mean, you go to a winery, you go and you go, oh, I'm, I'm going to Behringer. Oh, the Rheinhaus. And, uh, you know, and then there's a history of how, you know, Behringer, uh, when he came to San Francisco, he was a barber. I mean, you can, you know, they, they got this great um, historic perspective they can give. But you have to realize that these companies, they're owned by huge conglomerates. <laughs> this just, this particular place was not. It was actually owned by a family, and that family's okay. been there since the seventies. And it felt very that the whole thing. Every time I'm in Napa Valley, I feel like things are very scripted. Yeah, yeah. they're formulaic. They're scripted, and to your point, they have to be that way to draw the number of people that they draw. You yeah. know, they're in the hospitality business. People are coming there to have that very experience lunch in the vineyard and you know that lunch paired the food made to pair with their wines and you know they did a great job explaining you know explaining the wine explaining why it was paired everything was delicious but that I guess that's just me um and you know I I would say my experience in Europe even in 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 France and Italy granted that was a while ago I haven't been there for a decade um, it, it, it didn't feel scripted. It felt Oh, it's authentic. definitely different there. I mean, I can, I can speak to that. I you mean, know. we went to a few places where, I mean, even the, I mean, I'll just say we, we went to a, a cheese, a cheese factory, or I guess I would call it a farm where the, the, the place where they made the cheese was right next to the kitchen where they had their meals prepared. Yeah. And we just walked out of the door from the cheese factory into the guys, into the dining room. <laughs> right. Sat down there and right. had, you know, 
cheese and wine in his dining room. Yeah. So, I guess what yeah. I'm trying to say, though, is Napa Valley, that article and what I'm saying about Napa Valley it, it is, is drawing on that, that, you know, the nature of its fame, the amount of money that's going into there from uh, a bunch of different, you know, uh, a bunch of different sources. And the fact that people come to vacation there and they expect, you know, they expect to have that kind of perfect experience. And I don't think you can get that without trying to, you know, distill things down to some kind of formulaic thing. So it makes sense to me that people are saying, oh, it's becoming Hamptonized or um, or whatever. I still do know people um, that have, you know, dropped into Napa Valley, no experience in winemaking, wanted to be in the business and have become, you know, a success at it. So... You know, it's still out there. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know how you would get away with that unless it all implodes. And maybe, you know, um, it's really interesting point that you said that that article is a hit piece. You certainly can read it that way. Yeah, it's, you know, because I mean, you could say that for so many years, but that's just going to happen when you have, I mean, it's so concentrated. You know, the one thing that is irritating about um, the valley is, and that's in general, just, just me, the driving part. Yeah. I think some people, I mean, if you rent, you know, if I were coming up, if I would, it was a group of people I was coming up, I would just, I would advise that you rent a car service <laughs> to drive you around. Just, just pay the freight and have a car service drive you around. That way you don't have to deal with the, the, the traffic stuff. It is. I think that's the other thing folks may not understand unless you've been there. It's not that big. There, there's like one road yeah. <laughs> that goes north south through the valley. Yeah, there's um, well, well, extensively yeah, there's two, but sure. there's really only one that most people know about. Most of the people that come in, they're going to hit Highway 29. That's the way right. Napa is laid out is very interesting. The way it's laid out, it's a it's an extremely narrow valley, and um, you, you have these um, 2,000 foot um, hillsides or mountains on each side of this valley. And it starts, the valley actually starts at the bottom of the San Pablo Bay, which is, you know, or the San Francisco Bay proper. And as you drive up that valley, one of the first cities that you hit, or first city of size, is actually the city of Napa. And that's where the road divides. And you've got two ways you can go. You can go to the left, which most people do. They take 29. Or you can go to the right. And that eventually becomes Silverado Trail. And Silverado Trail runs up against the east, the western bank of the eastern hills there. Um, Howl Mountain and all that stuff. And you can get, that's the way, if you want to go up valley and you want to get to Calistoga, that's, that, the, way that's the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> Because there's no, you know, it's a two-lane road. There's like, I think there's one traffic light the whole way. And and that's the most picturesque way to go. But everyone goes up um, 29 because, well, I mean, you got to go by Robert Mondavi Winery on the left, right? That's right. Well, <laughs> and there's wineries that you can't, I mean, you have to go up 29 to get to. Yeah, there are some wineries that, um, that's the, where the bulk of the wineries are. Yeah, you can't, you can't get there on Silverado. Well, you can go Silverado Trail and then west, and you might have to go north or south from there to get to somewhere. But, um, yeah, and that's another thing that contributes to Napa Valley's 
aesthetic its experience is the fact that it is it is pretty compact in terms of it being narrow yeah the valley the valley itself it's about maybe 30 miles uh in length and there's certain areas that are more um wider than others but i mean for the most part it's just and and there's no it's it's basically it's all planted out so if it isn't planted with something that's growing, it's fallow, you know, or it's, you know, it's selling, it's a hotel <laughs> or it's a, or it's a, it's a wine factory or, you know, I mean, it's, the land is all used up. There's nowhere to go except up into the hills to, as far as planting more grapes. And that may be the way that it goes, because as you do go up, it gets a little bit cooler and, uh, um, that may, that might be the way of the future, but then you have all these environmental concerns that uh, come up, and uh, you know, getting any type of new development through the board of supervisors in Napa and their city council is uh, is a, a daunting task at, at best. So it's um, you know, if you're trying to develop land there, man, you you have to um, you have to really work hard, and you have to grease a lot of palms to get that stuff done. Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> That's a whole nother cast. <laughs> so um, I um, uh, speaking of climate change, I had an interesting wine the other uh, just last night. Yeah. Garzon uh, Marcel on Reserva. And it's from Uruguay. And it's wow. a blend. It's a hybrid that was uh, was um, it's a recent hybrid that came out in the late or early 60s. It's a, a hybrid and it's a blend of Cabernet Sauvignon and Grenache. And uh, I could say I've never had anything like that before, but uh, it's a pretty good bottle. How did you, did you get a recommendation on this bottle or did you see yeah, it on the shelf? I just saw it on the shelf and picked it up. You know me, I can't. Something that I'm not familiar with, I gotta give it. A, I gotta give it a ride. Yeah. So you, yeah, you, yeah, and it was good. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good bottle. Um, it was. Um, what did I pay for? I think I paid uh, 15, 16 bucks for it. It comes in a. It comes in a Pinot bottle. It's a, what, what I mean by that a Burgundy bottle. It's got a you know, and. Uh, it's uh, the guy that owns. I've had their wines before. I've had their Tanat uh -huh. um, that they make, which is uh, like a whew, man. That's a, a mouthful. Their Tanat that they make. So I said, oh, I'll give him a try. Um, the guy that owns it, he's some super uber rich dude. Um, I can't remember his name right now. But the wine itself, when you first open it, um, it's extremely fragrant. Um, the, the aroma just pops out of the glass. It's got like. A, chocolate cinnamon type thing going on yeah. with the baking spice and the black fruit. Um, it's got very deep color, deep, uh, deep uh, black color to it. Um, it's medium bodied and it's got some pretty substantial tannins, some substantial like uh, chalky tannins to it. It's 14 and a half percent alcohol. And uh, I enjoyed it and my wife enjoyed it, which let you know that it's a robust wine because she likes wines that have a, a lot of substance to them. And did you did you have food with this? Yeah, yeah, we had. Um, what did you have? What did you I don't have? know if it was appropriate, but oh. I made this really 
uh, spicy pasta that we, um, uh, red sauce that we had over um, farfalla. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a hit. Well, I, would, uh, I would definitely buy it again. God's cool. Did you get that at Bottle Barn? I did. Yeah. I would definitely buy that again, yeah. Love it. So um, at the top 100, I ran into um, our acquaintance, uh, Hugh Chappelle. Oh, yeah. And he said, hey, you guys got to come by. Oh, well, yeah. So we have an open invite. <laughs> That's very kind. Yes. That's very kind. I got there and I was, uh, when I was standing there uh, amongst the crowd, I thought, wow, man, I, I wonder if I will, will meet anybody I know. And as it turns out, I, I don't know if it's I just like I ran into a ton of people that I know. Oh, that's cool. That was pretty people cool. are probably just, you know, hey, looking forward to getting back out, right? Yeah, yeah. I had several people that mentioned that they, um, they were, this is their first time out. As a matter of fact, I talked to a, um, um, a guy that um, runs, um, I won't out him, but but runs a very um, big um, distributorship in San Francisco. And we, uh, it's the first time I'd met him. And we just, we were starting to talk. And I, I said, you know, you know, you probably don't know this, but you know, back in the day when I was uh, selling wine wholesale, I'd go out, I'd make my run first thing in the morning. And then in the afternoon, my big thing was to find a, a, a phone booth to phone in the orders. Oh. And uh, he says, oh, yeah. yeah. He goes, I remember those days. I, and he starts going into what he did. He goes, yeah, I know all the spots. That's right. You know all the spots where the clean bathrooms are and the good phones. Good phones, the bank of phones. So he's telling about this hotel that he went to. They had uh, three phones set up. They had paper and pen, the whole. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, I know all about that. That's funny. That's great. Yeah. Oh, my times have changed, my friend. Yeah. Now, yeah. That's for so, sure. So uh, I got a trivia question for you. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, okay. This relates to Napa Valley. Okay. So they had, uh, they had the famous little TV show that was uh, credited with uh, making Napa Valley, uh, bringing along the people in the tours. It was called Falcon Crest. We yes. talked about that earlier. Yeah. In the opening of Falcon Crest, they show a picture of the young and um, very attractive Lance driving up the driveway of Spring Mountain Estate. What car was Lance driving? Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. I literally have no idea. Lance was driving a 1983 Alfa Romeo. Oh. <laughs> course he was i should have made a, a, a guess at that i don't know an 83 alfa romeo did they really work did they drive all right yeah well that's yeah. mean probably spent a lot of time in the shop with that car that's mean yeah yeah maybe so uh real quick before we uh close up bill did you see uh how um our friend mark and uh mark anderson the arsonist uh how he uh he uh actually uh He's out of jail now. Yeah. 27 years. Um, yeah. What did he do, 10? I think he did 10 years. 27 year sentence. Yeah, yeah. That's the guy that burned down. The, we talked about him yeah, uh, yeah. years and years ago, but um, he burned down the warehouse 
that that just really had like millions of dollars of wine. Six million bottles of wine. <laughs> to cover his tracks from uh, his thievery from his, his embezzlement. Do yeah. I talking about going all in? Yeah. <laughs> well, damn. What do I do so, now? I'll just burn the, the winery. The, I'll just burn it down. So the thing Literally. that I didn't get about that was, okay, so he gets 27 years, but he's sentenced to pay restitution of like 702 million, some ungodly some amount. No, 70, 70.3 million in restitution. Okay. How is he supposed to pay that? I, I don't know. He's 73, I think. I never understand those things where they do that. How's he? He has no, he doesn't work. He's old. He's, I mean, he's sick. He's never, they're, those, they're not going to ever see that money. I have no idea. <laughs> the St. Vincent de Paul Society is covering his rent until Social Security kicks in. Yeah, yeah. He has no money. Yeah. Unless he's got a stash somewhere. No. 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 But uh, the fire was, I never realized it was such a large scope back in that day. I, I guess I had forgotten, but there were there were 92 wineries that had their wine stored there. And going back to the Napa Valley, the reason they stored their wine there was that wine is, um, that, that setup is in the city of Vallejo. Right. And it's right there on the rip. It's right there on the edge of the bay. So yeah. it's a great spot to store your wine because if you need to put it on a boat, yeah. it's pretty friggin' easy to do. Just good train. There's good transportation kind of all around. So that's uh, so that's why that wine was stored there. But a lot of those wineries, I mean, that was their entire inventory that was was uh, literally destroyed by a guy trying to um, trying to cover up his tracks for fraud and tax evasion. So. It's an, a small aside. Uh, it, Not a savory subject, but... No, but it, uh, kind of a... Boy, talking about just falling in the hole. It's yeah. rough. So that's a that's a pretty old picture. But, but a lot of these... I think what happens with a lot of these people that do this these white-collar crimes like this, some of them go to jail. This guy went to jail. But uh, what happens is the people that are harmed financially, they typically never get... They never get made whole. So, yeah. that's that. Yeah, that's for sure. That's what insurance is for. Oh, okay. <laughs> in, in theory. In theory, yeah. That's what it's for. It's supposed to cover things you can't cover yourself, right? That's right. Like some rogue park and rec guy burning down your storage facility. Crazy, crazy. Crazy indeed. All um, right. Well, Bill, what if uh, you got any rest? tips for uh, people that would, would want to come over to Sonoma County or um, come up to Northern California? Could you hit us with a few, please? Um, I, you know, we've been following a lot of pop-up places at, at um, local breweries we've been to and other, uh, other places. So there is a old-school Italian deli in Santa Rosa that has recently... Um, started to do a pop-up at 3rd Street Ale Works called, and I'll probably murder the name here, but Cannavari's Deli. Um, if you're looking for cannoli, ravioli, lasagna, good sauces, good sandwiches, check them out. All good stuff. 
Where's where is it again? Where's Canavari's? So Canavari's is I always get the address messed up. So Third Street Ale Works on the weekends they do a pop up there. Okay, gotcha. But they're on because um, Canavari's is uh, they're on the original Canavari's is over off of Lewis Road. It still is on Lewis Road. Okay, yeah. So that's the Ravioli Factory. Raviolis. Yeah, um, they also remodeled recently. So uh, at on Lewis Road, so that looks good. Okay. Um, there's a new burger restaurant in, and I know it sounds crazy, burgers, but they're really, really good burgers, um, and we're burger fans. So in, in Sebastopol called Lunchbox, that's good. Um, worth checking out. And the I haven't been here, but I keep hearing a ton about it. There's a plant-based restaurant called Little Saint um, in Healdsburg that's supposed to be really awesome. Um, okay. Getting a ton of press, so I, I I don't know. The other news that I have in the uh, spirit and wine world is Seismic Brewing bought Golden State Cider. Seismic just closed their tasting room here in Sebastopol, and they are now combining it with the Golden State Cider. So they're moving, they're jettisoning one big tasting room and moving it into a smaller tasting room that'll have beer and cider. That should be interesting, and it'll be probably more traffic in the, in that area. That is big news. So that right at that that intersection there. So they're moving away, and they're going further out. Last road. yeah, Friday was the last day at Seismic. God, that is uh, that is surprising to me. Yeah, uh, I think operationally it makes sense. Okay, you know they're. So there's region over there where you can go taste a bunch of different wines from different, you know, sort of by the glass. And they have the whole like nitrogen or how, whatever argon, whatever they're, you know, putting in the, not nitrogen, but probably argon that they're, you know, they have, they pick a region like uh-huh. okay. Anderson Valley and they bring a bunch of different wines from Anderson Valley. Sometimes it's a single varietal like Pinot and you can taste a bunch of different wineries, wines. And they have food and stuff there. They also, region also has a place where you can, if you're a smaller vintner, you can come in and use that as a tasting room. So they'll have like, you know, guest um, wineries in there. So that's interesting. Across the street's a really popular brewery called Crooked Goat. And next to, uh, next to region, right, like right attached to it is Golden State Cider. It'll now be, um, it'll now be seismic too. So, there'll be so a lot. what do you think is going to happen with that corner location? That's a hot spot, man. I don't know. It's it's kind of you know it's kind of finished. So somebody could somebody could easily come in there and probably you'd have to put a kitchen in there. I don't think they have a kitchen, but that could be easily probably be a turned into a reasonable restaurant. Okay, yeah, very interesting. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, well, seismic. Seismic, uh, I love their beers. Oh, the beers so, are awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah so, they all have, right. They have a really nice wet hot beer right now. Um, yeah, that's, I, you know, we're not going out to like, you know, sit down dinners in my home, um, you know, with children and stuff. It's usually like picking something up. Um, the sure. other the other thing we'll recommend is Acre Pizza. We eat a lot of Acre Pizza, which is also in the Barlow. I think their pies are pretty good. And they can you can get different kinds of pie now. You can get Detroit pizza. You can get Sicilian pizza during the day, and you can get the regular what I'll call New York style pizza. 
at all times. Um, they're also making volcano bread. We might do the. That's good. We might do the acre pizza today. We're going. Um, we're headed out to go uh, wine tasting at Baletto. And, uh, oh, very nice. Big deal for me to go wine tasting on Sunday. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's football you, uh, Sunday. If you, if so, their Sicilian pizza is kind of almost like a focaccia crust. Yeah, it's really good, and you buy it by the slice, which is great. Um, okay. But it's it's only during lunch, and they will sell out. You know, if it's busy in the Barlow today, they'll sell out. Okay. Um, the other place that's in the Barlow that we've been we hit up quite frequently um, is Redbird Bakery. Oh yeah, that's 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 my spot. And they they make these they call them for celly sandwiches, but they're like baguette sandwiches, like you'd find in mm-hmm. Europe. They're dynamite. I eat one of those every day. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, there's only good things that come out of that operation. Yeah, that place is, and they're really expanding. They're putting a they they put a place in Santa Rosa, and then they're blowing that up. And of course, they have their place in Cantati, and then. They took Where's over the place in Santa Rosa, Bill? I mean, I don't even know that, and I live in Santa Rosa. Um, I think it's down by A. It's on A Street over in that arts district. Okay, okay. I'll have to, I'll have to look it out because I always thought they needed something like that. Because I'm kind of like, I'm in no man's land. So, you know, going to Sebastopol's a drive and then going to Katati's a drive. I mean, it's a long way to go to get bread, man. Well, you know, the bread <laughs> that you need, so the, I take it back. They're on Sebastopol Road now. Redbirds. Redbirds on Sebastopol Road? Yeah. 465 Sebastopol Road. Open now, Al. You can go get it now. Um, <laughs> okay. Have you so been they're to... over there with Village Bakery. Village Bakery's on Sebastopol Road, too. Yeah, they're on the east side of 101, though, it looks like. Okay. So I'm not sure where they're at. That might be worth an adventure today. Yeah, um, you know, they used to be... Um, that... That place used to be literally like a block and a half from my office when I was over there on the, the west side, and uh, man, it was it was just like it was not good. Yeah. <laughs> like, so do you know where? Drive by there. Yeah. Do you know where Red? So Redbird in Santa Rosa is where Criminal Baking Company used to be. So it is over. Oh, I know, I know exactly where it is now. It's yeah. Like over by Spencer Sisters. That's another great restaurant if you're looking yep. for a decent, good, a good restaurant in Santa Rosa. Um, have you been to Gugat Bread? Oh, God. Are you kidding me? Yes. Yeah. Of course. Just, yeah. just saying. That is, yeah, that's, that's. And then somebody told me about another French bakery. I didn't write it down. I'll have it next time we talk in Santa Rosa. That's supposed to be awesome. Well, the one that's good for us out here is um, is um, the the place in Glen Ellen. I'm drawing a, a mental blank right now. It's uh, that's the that's the place for bread out here. Cool, cool. Well, you know, we very much live in a place that has all these artists and producers, so we're kind of fortunate. Pretty awesome. Yeah, that's um, it. yeah. And you go into I, what I like about the it's uh, Le Pescal. Yeah. What okay. I, what I like about going into the um, those little French bakeries is I get to work on my, my, my horse French. <laughs> it's pretty bad. You know what happens when I try to speak a foreign language to people, they speak to me in English. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what happens to me. Yeah. yeah I suppose that's a good sign. Eh? <laughs> no, not a good sign. Not a good All right, sign. though. We All better right. wrap it up. Yep. 
Uh, well, if you want to reach out to us, you can always email us, info at Vino101, or Bill or Al. Bill at Vino101, or Al at Vino101. Al has a dynamite Twitter presence, so if you want to hit him up, you can hit him up on Twitter at Vino101.net, so twitter.com slash Vino101.net, or sorry, Vino101.net altogether. Um, and if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>